Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsinized Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. Could there be a resolution at the state capitol over redrawing Wisconsin's electoral maps? Coming up, what the governor and GOP leaders had to say. Plus, after a series of inmate deaths, what the next steps the state might take to investigate conditions at our prisons. And we get the first look at how voters feel about the presidential candidates in a new Marquette poll. All that and more on Rewind, your week in review for February 9th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. J.R., we're going to start this week's show with some redistricting headlines. And first, we're going to talk about, of course, we know this lawsuit is still sitting in the state Supreme Court. But the big question ahead looking into next week is, could there be a possible compromise between the governor's office and GOP leaders on making agreement on how the lines are drawn? This comes after Governor Tony Evers did not rule out signing his own map proposal if both chambers passes it. And this comes after earlier in the day, Senate Majority Leader told reporters that his caucus may vote on Evers' legislative map proposal without any changes. Now remember, it was not too long ago that both chambers did pass Evers' maps, but they argued they made, quote, minor changes. Yes, they moved some districts to protect some GOP incumbents. But if this is the case without any changes, Evers really didn't rule it out. So let's just take a listen what he had to say when I asked him about this earlier this week during a visit to a Darlington school district. I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, I, they said it last time and it wasn't my, my, my maps. It was, it was their maps. So we'll see what happens. But what, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I'm very skeptical. So. What if there's zero changes to it and they just take your maps up as is? Is that something you would sign to bypass the courts? Why not? So... Why not? Mm -hmm. The next day, uh, my colleague A.J. Bayapur at CBS 58 asked the governor, well, can you clarify what does why not mean? And he said yes. So he is a firm yes if the legislature does this. And, J.R., it looks like we might be seeing some movement on this effort in the Senate early next week. So Devin Lemahieu, the Senate earlier, said he's going to caucus with his members uh, this week and talk about it. Then late this week, there was a bill, a redistricting bill. Remember Robin Voss, this idea of an Iowa-style system in Wisconsin? Well, last month, that bill had passed the assembly. The Senate took it, amended it to add the governor's maps with the changes sent to the assembly that was vetoed. That same bill, the Senate version now, was originally put up for a paper ballot vote today in a Senate committee. Senate leaders, though, moved it into Senate org, which is the committee that schedules the floor period of Senate, or the calendar. That teased that bill up to be in the floor. So the possible scenario is we go to the floor next week, that bill's on the calendar, they have a substitute amendment that takes a map and makes that the heart of the bill. We pass it, they pass a bill, goes to the assembly, we see what happens. Now the questions are, you know, one, will it be the governor's maps as is, no changes, no fooling around, nothing? Two, how's a caucus going to react, Republican caucus? Remember, there were four GOP no votes against the governor's map with changes last month. Uh, this is high stakes for people. You're talking about folks who are going to possibly lose their political careers because Look at the governor's map. There will be fewer Republicans, most likely in the state legislature, after if it becomes law. But why would you do this? Well, it's simple. Uh, it's the best of a bad uh, series of bad options. Mm -hmm. So looking at the various maps that are for the Supreme Court right now, we had a consultant's report last week that said 
The GOP map, which is basically what we have right now with a few tweaks, um, is a par partisan gerrymander. The map from conservative Wisconsin for Law and Liberty is a stealth gerrymander. These four Democratic maps, the governors, Senate Democrats, the, the voters who challenge the lawsuit, a group of professors, they're all about the same, but they're about the same in how they perform in terms of various components. But looking at like the pairs, for example, the governor's assembly map would pair fewer members than the law forward map would. He has fewer senators paired than the professor's map would. So there are things like that that make it a more palatable situation. And yes, there's a path for Democrats to win a majority in both houses under the governor's map. It's not guaranteed. You have to have money, environment, candidate, those things matter. So while there's a path, it's not a done deal. So if Republicans are going, look, this is about the best we can do now. The other thing is, what do you do? Why do you it now? Well, you cut off the Supreme Court putting a map in place. Don't forget, the court said in December, if you guys pass a map, that's it. Like, that's first preference. You guys pass a map. If they don't, they could get the Supreme Court to put in their map in place. So the faster they move, they cut off that litigation, ends that, and then Republicans can begin to prepare for the fall. They know what the lines are. If you have to move or consider moving, you know that. You can recruit candidates. All those things can fall Election into place. officials will be happy to have some maps in place as well. Yes. Um, you know, the question for me, Jared, that I'm watching for is, you know, are there votes in the Senate to get this done just with Republicans? Now, also, the other question in my mind is, will Democrats vote for Governor Evers' maps? You know, oftentimes there's a lot more pressure in the Senate to rely on Democrats. That's something I'm watching for. Meanwhile, a spokeswoman for Assembly Speaker Robin Voss said that they will explore the option. Well, when they set the calendar for on Tuesday, the Assembly will be also on the floor. I asked uh, Assembly uh, Majority Leader Tyler August about, hey, are you guys also exploring this option? He said, of course we are. Um, we've always been looking at that. Uh, and he also, I asked him, well, do you have the votes? And he said, we don't bring things to the floor unless we have the votes, which is often the saying we hear from them. But that's going to be interesting, too, because then are you going to have Democrats that vote against the governor's maps? We'll see. So and then don't forget, uh, Republicans have said over and over again, they could appeal the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, there was a filing this week from their, their lawyers, Republican lawyers, saying, look, this entire process has been awry. We've got problems. We want a more, another delay. The consultants report they should be subpoenaed and uh, have to testify because we have questions about communications with justices. But the chances of going to the U.S. Supreme Court are very, very thin. So if you're a Republican lawmaker, you're going, okay, my choice is swallow this bitter pill from the governor or take my chances with the U.S. Supreme Court. Those chances aren't very good. This is the devil they know, and that's what's driving this possible uh, approach for them to the maps. And Jerry, you mentioned this a few times about the consultant's report that we highlighted last week. We also had all of the groups that submitted maps. They had to respond to the consultant's report, and here's what they found. Of course, no real surprise headlines here. Republicans urged the state Supreme Court to ignore the report from those redistricting e experts, uh, and then they also determined that uh, that comes after they determined those maps, like you said, uh, were unconstitutional partisan gerrymanders. Now, GOP lawmakers also argued that the consultant's findings were unsound. Meanwhile, Democrats requested the court to adopt one of their maps that those uh, redistricting experts determined largely met the criteria to create more fair representation. Yeah, there was no surprise. I mean, everybody's saying our maps are the best. You should right, pick ours. Of course. No, yeah. The one kind of new thing was this filing from the GOP attorneys of, hey, we want this entire report thrown out. It's really delay tactic. The entire legal approach from the, G the GOP legal team has been, can we get this thing past 2024? Get past mid-March, mid-April, get sometime in the summer for it as a decision that would preclude it from being involved in the 2024 election because, oh, by the way, next year, 
of the Supreme Court race. You could flip the court, things could change. It's another effort at getting toward that delay uh, uh, tactic. All right, moving on to our next topic focuses on the conditions and after a kind of a series of deaths at correctional institutes here in Wisconsin. This week, uh, we also asked the governor uh, during his visit in Darlington um, about whether the state would look into an investigation at some of these deaths. And Governor Evers kind of held back on going that far because he said he's waiting on an internal investigations into the three deaths that happened at Waupon Correctional Institution first, and then he may take additional steps if necessary. and, you know, this comes after not only deaths, but there's been a lot of allegations of mistreatment. This also comes after uh, multiple months of lockdowns. That's when inmates are confined to their cells for a majority of the day. Now, the Evers administration has taken steps um, over the last, I would say, two or two months or so um, to start easing some of those lockdowns. But, you know, when you hear a lot of these families and advocates, um, they say conditions and efforts are still not uh, uh, are, are still not great, I should say, overall. Um, so we'll see what happens with this issue going forward forward. I was going to say, it's all staffing. It's, it's all driven by the mm-hmm. fact that we have had a hard time in the state of Wisconsin finding prison guards. They are understaffed at high security prisons in Wisconsin. Some of them, Lapon, Green Bay, are old hard to manage with the staff that they have. It's driving a lot of the stuff. Right, and uh, we also spoke to some attorneys who are representing families uh, who have had family members that have died at Waupun. Uh, they told CBS 58 this week that they are going to be filing additional lawsuits into the other ones that are ongoing right now. So you're going to have legal battles, investigations, a lot going on right now in our prisons. All right, let's move on to topic number three, and this is the focus on Republicans' $2 billion, I should say $2.2 billion tax cut proposal. Um, the committee the Joint Finance Committee cleared it out of, um, voted on it earlier this week. So this means the Assembly is going to vote on it on Tuesday. Um, And roughly about some of the highlights, it includes expanding the second income tax bracket to include more middle income earners, cutting retirement income, and providing tax cuts to newly married couples and parents. Um, This was a little bit debated in joint finance. You know, I was kind of watching for would Democrats support this? We'll get into where the governor is at on this in a little bit. Uh, But it doesn't seem like Democrats are too impressed with this. Let's take a listen from both sides. I'm worried that this would be fiscally irresponsible and that the people that would support this would be fiscally irresponsible budgeters. If we go from a multi-billion dollar surplus to a multi-billion dollar deficit, the things that Wisconsinites rely on are going to end up being cut. There is the opportunity here to design a tax cut that does not leave the state bankrupt, that we can design a tax cut that benefits working people, that helps people get through this difficult time without emptying out our state's accounts. We believe that um, taxpayers know better how to spend their money. We know just from the last meeting we had in here when we asked Fiscal Bureau, uh, going back, I think it's either 12 or 14 years now, we're more than $30 billion in tax relief. We know that we can take these surpluses of taxpayer funds, make strong investments like we did in the last budget in a lot of their priorities, and we can return some of that money. So the big question mark is where the governor has been on this package. I asked him uh, earlier this week, do you support it? He said he hasn't read the bills. He's kind of waiting for them to land on his desk. But I kind of followed up with that and said, you know, they're trying to appease you by doing certain bills in this package that targets the middle class, something that he has long fought for. We know that he has vetoed a series of GOP tax proposals that he basically said doesn't do enough uh, for middle income earners. Uh, Still, he's kind of being on the cautious side. And, you know, 
why he was that way is he said, well, there's always type of things that can get snuck into these bills, which is fair to say. We've seen that from time to time. Um, but as of right now, it's fair to say the governor is not committal on the package. Yeah, uh, during the debate joint finance this week, uh, Terry Kotzma, a Republican, um, talked about how the governor kept talking about $150,000. That's like his kind of definition of middle class. Mm -hmm. So the income tax break, for example, would expand that second tax bracket to hit income up to that level. Uh, they're arguing this is what the governor wanted. We're going to give it to him. But don't forget, we're talking about a surplus now projected in this biennium of about $3.25 billion. This would take out two plus of that. Billion bucks is a lot of money. But when you look ahead to the next budget and what the demands are, you have to have growth to meet projected spending uh, commitments. If you don't have growth, you have to cut. And Democrats kept making the point of, we want to see what's going to happen going forward. Now, they say that because they want to spend that money. They want to use it for what they want to do with it come 2025. And if there's a new map that produces a new dynamic in the state capital, they could have a bigger say in how it's spent. Don't forget, governors have spent the last three budgets playing defense, essentially, having his proposals stripped out, these documents, and trying to use the veto pen creatively. This could be his first chance of his entire term to actually be proactive and have see a, a budget he really likes. Sign law versus the one he has to deal with. Yeah, he also during a Wisconsin Counties Association conference, the governor kind of suggested that he's in favor of the bill that would provide kind of more tax credits uh, to those uh, into families that have newborns, new you know, new parents, mm -hmm. I should say. Sorry, excuse me. Um, but he also urged it doesn't go far enough because he was referring to the child care industry, and we know that he has long fought for to pump more funding into the industry to help them as. Um, there's a lot of child care centers that have closed uh, recently in the last few years. All right, let's get into the first Marquette University Law School poll that came out that's looking into the 2024 presidential race. Now, again, this is just the first glimpse, but no surprise here because, mm -hmm. wow, we're a battleground state and former President uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden are tied at 49 percent. So, um, of course, approval ratings are very different, but this really just puts into perspective of, once again, all eyes on Wisconsin here. So Charles Franklin, the political director, talked about this during the presentation of how disliked these two gentlemen are. Um, so Joe Biden's job approval number is 41 percent, 58, I believe, disapprove, or 56 disapprove. It almost matches exactly the Nikki Haley number. Um, so what he was saying was that this is a reflection of how a generic Republican would do against Joe Biden because he's not Donald Trump. Donald Trump, though, his favorable ratings is like 40, 58. So they're mirrors of each other. People don't like them. Uh, raises the question, how will this election look this fall? I've never seen in my entire career of covering politics two less liked people possibly running for president in a statewide election. How is that going to look? Probably like 2016, people tell me. Go back to 2016, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump. Not quite as bad as numbers are right now for those two guys, but not great. 2.9 million people voted. We had 3.3 million voted in 2020. That tells you... Vote Trump was depressed a bit eight years ago because people weren't enthusiastic. Now, this poll was taken before the special prosecutor's report released yesterday, talked about issues that the uh, prosecutor had with the president's memory. Don't it's going to help him if age is an issue for people. But looking ahead of this fall, the question is, okay, if it's Trump v. Biden, and nothing is telling us right now it's not going to be, barring some big change because Trump keeps winning GOP primaries, Nobody's really knocked Biden off any, or even come close to threatening him in any Democratic ones. So unless there's a big change, it's those two. Uh, looking toward the fall, who's going to be passionate about turning out? I mean, Trump supporters are very passionate. They'll be there. 
But he also doesn't enlarge the tent for Republicans. So what happens with suburbanites? Do they vote for Donald Trump after rejecting him four years ago? Or do they sit home? I mean, there's lots of unknowns about yeah. this race that really make it kind of an interesting one because again, I've never seen numbers so bad for two candidates in a statewide race. Right, and also, you know, you brought up the special counsel's report. Also worth noting that oral arguments yesterday in the U.S. Supreme Court about Trump's uh, ballot challenges, uh, they didn't appear too uh, interested in that idea of kicking him off the ballot. We know that's effort here in Wisconsin. So, you know, despite his legal troubles, he's still overperforming Nikki Haley in the race. He's still, you know, very close margins with Biden in other states. And as you see, you know, I think it was two-point difference in the last MU poll that Biden had a two-point edge. Um, and, you know, Trump you know, crept up there. Again, lock and change. Yes. We still have many, many months ahead. Um, two other things that we want to highlight in this poll is the matchup between Biden and Haley, which was pretty interesting as well. Biden was 41 percent. Haley was at 57 percent. And, Jerry, you did mention this about poll director Charles Franklin saying during the presentation that the difference between the results reflects how some voters are uh, willing to overlook their unhappiness with Biden's job performance due to Trump's uh, personal baggage. Uh, let's hear him talk a little bit about that from uh, uh, poll director Charles Franklin. If we shift to Biden and Haley, Haley is way up a 16 point, 17, 16 point margin. 15% of Democrats cross over to vote for Haley. Remember, it was only 9% for Trump. Look at independence going 58-36 for Haley rather than pretty heavily for Biden. And on the Republican side, Haley actually does better with Republicans than Trump does with Republicans. The dissatisfaction with Biden is muted when he's paired against Trump, but it's exacerbated when he's paired against this Republican alternative. Also related to the poll, there was also five different outcomes putting all the different three presidential candidates mm -hmm. against each other. Um, what did you find interesting in that one, JR? So Trump v. Biden with registered voters basically tied. If you have Trump, Biden, Green Party candidate Jill Stein, independent Cornell West, and independent Robert Kennedy Jr., it changes the race. It becomes a 40% Biden or 40% Trump, 37% uh, Biden, 16 for Kennedy to leave, then down. First off, uh, Franklin noted that Wisconsin traditionally has about 3% of the independent vote for president, so I'm not expecting it to be that large come November. If you look at the history of Marquette poll, you'll often see, you know, especially in recent years, the third-party vote kind of start to diminish as it closer to November. People go, okay, do I really want to do that? But um, it could draw people away from Biden and make it harder for him to win Wisconsin again. Don't forget, four years ago, it was Trump, Biden, and the conservative party, that was it. Uh, the Green Party didn't qualify because of issues of nomination papers, filed a lawsuit, Supreme Court rejected it. Well, fast forward to last night, the License Commission approved the Green Party for the ballot. Now, it was a formality. If you get more than 1% of the vote in a statewide race in an off year as a party, all you have to do is petition the Elections Commission to get on the presidential ballot. The Greens' uh, Secretary of State candidate got 1.6%, I believe it was, in the Secretary of State's race that gave them that opportunity, they petitioned, they're on. So there's that. Robert Kennedy, though, has to uh, submit nomination papers this summer. Cornell West, whose campaign told me he's coming to Wisconsin, but that was supposed to happen last month, so we'll see. He says he's going to try and get on the ballot with the nomination papers, and don't forget, no labels. They have said they're going to try on the ballot in Wisconsin. They haven't said who they're going to have for a candidate yet. Um, there was a window to try and get on the ballot through uh, collecting signatures and 
having a, a party line this fall, which is a more complicated process. There's also the window of the summer. What are they going to do? The more options you have, will it drop you away from Biden? It's an excellent question. Don't forget, even though the Greens weren't on the ballot in 2020, uh, Howie Hawkins got 1,083 votes. Don't comment that. Over. In the, <laughs> 2020, in the 2020 race, the write-ins. I bring that up because even though if you have a Green Party candidate on or off, it doesn't guarantee you it's going to siphon votes away because those Greens might not want to vote for Biden. For a Green Party-like enthusiast, Biden and Trump aren't that different in a lot of ways. Yes, they are to make the average voter, but sure. to them, yeah. they're part of the a two-party corrupt system. So I'm not sure that just having a Green Party candidate will guarantee you taking votes away from anybody on the ballot this fall. And like always, there's issues that are asked uh, in the MU poll. And one that I found pretty interesting because I believe it was the first time being asked about it is a specific bill that the GOP legislature has been talking about is putting a referendum on the ballot asking voters whether to implement a 14-week abortion ban. Right now, of course, the, t the uh, current ban is at 20 weeks of pregnancy. So this was asked about it. And I thought the results were pretty interesting here, JR. In favor, 45%, opposed 48%. 8% don't know enough about it. I thought that was pretty interesting of how close uh, people are on this issue, given when you overall about the, ask about the issue of uh, abortion, it appears like there's a little bit more support for our laws right now compared to once uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned. Yeah, Republicans, again, they want to talk about that question, not when it sh whether it should be legal, mm -hmm. period. I just don't know that the bill will get through the Senate and talking to Republicans, there's right. been some resistance of embracing because it's going to get vetoed if they, they do push it through. So what's the point, essentially? And you would alienate your anti-abortion supporters. The four biggest anti-abortion groups have all said they don't support that bill and don't want to see it done. All right. All right. Let's get to stock picks this week. And we're going to start with rising is Dean Phillips from news that broke after we taped the show on Friday related to Dean Phillips, who secured his name on the ballot. Yes. But is that the best day of his campaign in Wisconsin? That's the question. So. We talked about that lawsuit before. The Supreme Court unanimously said the commission had abused its discretion in keeping him off because it's supposed to recognize candidates who are generally recognized in the, advocated for in the media or recognized in the media. So Phillips gets on. But then on the heels of that in South Carolina, he gets like one point something percent in the primary. Now, Ryan, Ryan you that Dean Phillips on X now, not Twitter, X, mm -hmm. uh, somebody had posted that Biden should get 95 percent or more in and South Carolina's like, I agree. He got 96%. Dean Phillips finished behind Marion Williamson, who dropped out of the race right, this week. Yeah. So are you going to be able to do anything with this? I asked all kinds of insiders, like, does this matter? This guy got on, they all kind of shrugged their shoulders. No, not really. Who cares? Because he's not having any presence. But he did win with the court. Again, just don't know if it's the best day of his campaign going forward. Right, and it's pretty interesting because we talked about a lot of different outcomes of what the court could do. They could accept the case. They could have oral arguments on the case. They could even just maybe not even rule on it yet and just let it sit there. But they actually just, you know, unanimously agreed in an order that let's just put him on the ballot. So I thought the results were pretty interesting, too, that they just wanted to almost just get rid of it. Uh, good, get rid of it. <laughs> good post note. So the Elections Commission on Thursday approved the names of the yes. ballot. So Phillips is on there along with Biden. On the Republican side, it took off Asia Hutchinson. So even though he was picked by the commission back in January 2nd, there was a deadline last week if you wanted to have your name pulled off. Asia had dropped out before that window, actually went through and said, yeah, take me off. Those who didn't, though, Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Chris Christie. 
They'll still be on your ballot uh, April 2nd, the GOP presidential primary, if you choose a vote in it. By the way, they dropped out. Yes, <laughs> people don't know, out. but every time it's always just kind of quirky and funny to me that people still vote. For, you know, if you're passionate about it, I get it. Yeah. You still want to, you know, put one eggs in one basket, but even though they're technically not in the race, some people do. All right, mix this week is Mike Gallagher. As, oh boy, oh boy, a lot on, uh, uh, on the Hill this week with immigration. So, look, Gallagher has alienated the MAGA base before. Don't forget, uh, he voted for a Democratic proposal in the House that sought to limit uh, Trump's national emergency to build a border wall. Okay, that was a little bit of an issue. On January 6, 2021, he called on Trump to call off his supporters and, and say, stand down. That irritated the mega base. The question is, is this vote about impeaching the D, uh, Homeland, Sec Homeland Security Secretary, is that the tipping point? I don't know. It's easy for MAGA world to call him a bunch of names on social media and all that kind of stuff. It's harder to raise $4 million to beat him a primary because Mike Gallagher had $4 million bucks in the bank at the end of 2023. Now, let's also rewind to that vote itself. There's all this angst toward Gallagher because one of three Republicans voted no. It failed by one vote ascent. Well, it tied originally. Yes. Then a guy changed his vote that could bring it back up next week. And I'll probably pass next week when Steve Scalise, the House Majority Leader, comes back, gives them the margin they need. Is it really Gallagher's fault or is it the Speaker Johnson's fault Who for going to the floor in the first place? You gotta count your votes. That's one thing that you gotta do as leader. So people told me Gallagher has been clear for a while about where he's at. I mean, this wasn't a surprise. He had an op-ed ready to go in the Wall Street Journal right after the vote to right. say this is why I did it. This is not a surprise to leadership. People tell me they may have gambled that Gallagher would cave and he, they made a bad gamble. If you are a leader of a caucus, especially in the House, you don't go to the floor unless you have a locked mm -hmm. down airtight I had the votes. Now, it was a Democrat who had emergency surgery the day of the vote. Yes. They wheeled him in to vote no and it was went back out. Mm -hmm. That said, uh, this is not a good look for House GP leadership. Now, after this vote, Alex Brezowitz, which is a kind of a Trump uh, fan activist, um, lives in Florida now. He, a source close to him, started floating to national media that he's going to go out running against Gallagher. Well, Brezowitz is from Wisconsin. But he lived in Ripon, went to Ripon High School, I believe, class of 2015. Ripon is not part of the 8th Congressional District. It hasn't been part of that district since he was born, essentially. <laughs> I went back 50 years. It's not part of the 8th that entire time. So, yes, he's from Wisconsin. No, you don't have to live in the district to run for it. But as a guy who's living in Florida right now, who's never lived in the 8th, really the best vehicle to challenge Mike Gallagher, who's got $4 bucks in the bank and is pretty well known. Right. Maybe, maybe not. Um, you're going to see a lot of talk radio, a lot of social media beating up on Mike Gallagher, but I just don't know if we're talking to people if he's really in any trouble this time. He had a primary challenger in 2022, a little-known business guy, got 15% of the vote. Um, so Brezowitz would have more name ID, but I don't know if he has what it takes to beat Mike Gallagher in a primary. Yeah, and of course you were talking about that vote, but the other issue going on right now is Congress is they can't reach an agreement on, on a border deal. Mm -hmm. um, and speaking of that, we know there's been uh, Whitewater here in Wisconsin has expressed some concerns that they are, you know, having a lot of uh, migrants come there. They're, they're welcoming them there as well, um, but they're worried about resources, period. So I, I asked the governor um, about this issue, if he's concerned that if Congress doesn't get a border deal, that it could overwhelm not over Whitewater, but other communities. Um, he didn't 
he wasn't overall very concerned because he thinks Wisconsin in general, most communities are, you know, welcoming and we, you know, we have a lot of refugee welcoming states or uh, communities as well. Um, but it is something to watch for to see mm-hmm. how big um, beyond the border this issue can get and how it could stress even more communities, uh, not just Whitewater, but others. All right, let's get to falling this week is transportation fees. So when is a fee a fee? When's it a tax? That's the question. So lots of communities in Wisconsin have gone to transportation fees, trying to get around state-imposed property tax limits. Village of Pewaukee is one. An appeals court this week struck down the village's uh, fee. Basically, what they try to do is say, okay, everybody, you're going to pay a fee for using the roads, all right? We're going to assess that. Well, the Supreme Court last summer unanimously ruled that a different community's fee was a tax. Similar thing, you're getting charged for using the roads, but that fee, the court ruled, is basically a tax. You can't do that because you have a state-imposed property tax levy limit, and you can't go above that with your taxes. The village of Pewaukee tried to argue this is different than that case. It wasn't the same thing. They rejected that uh, argument. The appeals court did in Waukesha. WMC, Wisconsin Manufacturing Commerce, I'm sorry, really filed this lawsuit, was hailing this agreement as a win for taxpayers. It also will, they say, push back its communities trying to find ways around those property tax caps because they felt hemmed in in recent years. They can't do more to pay for their costs. This is going to make it a little bit harder for them, better for taxpayers, WMC says. All right, like the sound of that. All right, that will do it for this week. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Emily Fanon. And I'm J.R. Ross. We'll see you next week. This program was brought to you from the Margaret Farrell Studio. Rewind, Your Week in Review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.